Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. All right, so now we are going to turn our attention towards the scripture for today, and it is from Matthew chapter 8. But before we read it, I'm going to do a little overview of what's going on. So we've kind of been working our way through Matthew for a while and hearing a lot about the kingdom of God. And we just finished the Sermon on the Mount series recently, which is basically a big explanation of what the kingdom of God is like. Um, Our previous series covered this. If you want to go back and listen to those podcasts to refresh or catch up since you missed it. Um, And now this sermon series we are getting into goes into the miracles of Jesus in chapters 8 and 9. And though the miracles are amazing, Matthew isn't devoting this section of his book to impress us with Jesus the miracle worker. Um... Other people can do stuff that's kind of perceived as miracles, right? Um, Maybe you've had acupuncture or craniosacral therapy or other, some sort of therapy you don't understand, but you feel incredible after, okay? And that can feel like a miracle. Um, But your therapists are not God. Um, Our technology advances um, would probably seem miraculous to somebody from like the Middle Ages. And sometimes maybe you're just like driving along at night, minding your own business, and you look up at a street light and it just burns out as you make eye contact with it. That happens to me a lot, which is pretty uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) So that's not really a good example of a miracle. It's just weird. But anyways, we'll just keep going. Um, So Matthew highlights these miracles in chapters 8 and 9 to depict Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God who will save, who's, will save us, not just somebody who can do cool stuff. Um, we will also notice as we study these miracles that Jesus is not misusing his abilities, his power, his authority. He doesn't do this to impress people. He doesn't do it to elevate himself. Jesus' power and authority is for the people of God. The miracles we will study are examples of God's work in the world making all things new. God's kingdom intersecting with creation. Jesus embodies the kingdom of God in these miracles. And as followers of Jesus, we join and partner with this work. So today, our scripture is Matthew 8, 18 through 22. And I will read it to all of you. And you are welcome to read along if you are able, or you can just listen if you don't read yet, or if you prefer just to hear it spoken to you. Now, when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. A scribe then approached and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
First, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's kind of an intense scripture passage, right? A little bit different. Um, and it's also not a miracle account, like I just kind of hyped it up to be for the series, but I promise it uh, relates and uh, is a support for the rest of our miracles that we'll get into in the next couple weeks. Um, so this part of scripture is focused on discipleship, which is an act of submitting ourselves to God's power and authority to follow Jesus, who has the power and authority over all things to speak order to chaos and cast out demons and heal the sick and all those things. Discipleship is following Jesus into those places where the kingdom of God intersects with our messy world to bring the redemption and healing of Jesus. So our passage began with verse 18, which said, Now when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. It sounds like maybe Jesus needs some alone time. Uh, but that's not exactly what's happening. Um, it's not a game of hide-and-seek, and it might be more like follow the leader. Um, but we're not going to play follow the leader today, just so you know. Yeah, bummer. Maybe later. Um, so Jesus knows that these crowds have heard the Sermon on the Mount, but hearing isn't everything, right? Jesus wants the people to understand, to not just know the ideas, but to understand that they put them into action. Jesus wants people to follow him, not just know the things he says. So I'm reminded of the parable of the wise and foolish builders, which just so happens to be like oh, a few verses behind this one, um, where the parable, in the parable, we have the importance of hearing Jesus's words and putting them into practice. If we hear Jesus's words and we do not put them in practice, we are like, a um, foolish man who built his house on the sand. So as Jesus leaves this large crowd, perhaps what he is trying to do is distinguish who is ready and serious about learning more from him. Who is going to follow him? Who will be his disciples? Who will hear his teaching and put it into action? So Jesus leaving is kind of like follow the leader. He just didn't say like, we're playing follow the leader, guys. Let's go. Anyway, um, I lost my spot now. I got a little silly. Okay, this is what happens. All right, so our scripture introduces us to a scribe next. The scribe, as a religious leader, is very well educated in the law of Moses, and he's obviously impressed with Jesus, calling him teacher and seeming ready for anything. So the vibe from the scribe who follows Jesus is very much the good student vibe. Perhaps we see ourselves this way. We are excited about what Jesus is doing and teaching, and we want to follow him, and we are ready to go. And then we read the next part where Jesus says, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm going to guess that the excited, good student scribe was not expecting that response, and that maybe it was a shock to you as well when you read that. 
Jesus is basically saying to this excited follower that the road of discipleship is not easily easy. There will be suffering and rejection. It's a pretty good pep talk. Jesus um, calls himself the son of man in this part in, of the reply. And you might feel curious about that title. Is it a statement about Jesus' nature? Scholars think that it's purposeful, but not like too theologically intense, like the nature of Jesus. But like the title, it conveys this authority, right? Son of man. And yet it's used in a context which describes his suffering. So the power and authority of Jesus connected with deep suffering, which is kind of a good understanding of the life of Jesus, even though it does seem contradictory. So let's think of Jesus's earthly mission and his glory, what will happen. He dies, and then he also rises again and makes all things new. The suffering and um, authority are connected. It turns out that those who, are, who commit to following Jesus will face hardship and suffering just like Jesus as they embody the kingdom of God in the world. Jesus is going to be going all, to all the places where God's people are in need and inviting them to join and follow him. But it's hard. It's not easy. And Jesus is not sugarcoating it, obviously. And then he continues to not sugarcoat it. Um, but first, let's look back at our activities we did earlier. So just grab those if you don't have them in your hand already. Um, so take a fresh look at this. And I want you to notice what the important things were that you wrote down in your heart image. And consider for a minute how you decided their importance. When I was writing this sermon and trying to think of like examples of things that are important and good priorities, um, my mind flashed back to when I made my nesting lists for when I was pregnant with Rose and then with Lyndon. And uh, I made very thorough lists um, of all the critical, extremely important things that I had to do before they were born. Um, like the things I needed to, to have, the things I needed to clean, the things I needed to prepare in advance. Um, I had deadlines and check boxes and good fonts and assigned Jason and I to different tasks. It was, um, we didn't do it all. We did a surprising amount. Anyway, so I dusted the baseboards and vacuumed all the carpet edges. Um, and I did that before I meal prepped um, or washed the baby diapers that I'd need right away because, and it was gonna be ages before like a kid would try to lick a baseboard. And by then it would have accumulated more dust. And then I bought bulk spices to restock my cabinet supply. And then also my backup spice supply. Um, I did that, I'm not joking. <laughs> and it seemed like I'd never be able to do any of this stuff again. So I was like, I have to do this now. I, I can't not have spices. Um, I touched up all the, like patched all the holes behind the pictures, painted over them, you know, the spots where you mess up and then you hide it behind the picture frame when it's in the right spot. Um, 
Yeah. So my nesting list was probably only slightly different than someone preparing a well-decorated bunker with good food. Um, and I got so tired, not just from like being pregnant, because that's tiring and alone, but like from doing all these things that I didn't really need to be doing. And then I was too tired to like make freezer meals. We had like nothing in the freezer when Lyndon was born. <laughs> Typical second kid, you know. But yeah, so there was like a hole in the bottom of the nest. Um, so whether or not you've done like weird baby nesting stuff, um, you can relate to like misordered priorities and trying um, to balance important things. We have all struggled at one point or another um, with recognizing what is actually important and what of the important things is like the most important things now. To prioritize the important things takes a lot of intention and reflection. So the next person in scripture said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. To bury a parent was a very important duty in religious uh, culture, Jewish culture. So if a parent died, that became the number one priority. Everything else, even other like critical religious obligations, were put on hold. And we can understand this because we do this today too in most situations, most families, they prioritize that. So we know how important it is. We don't know that this person's father has yet died. He could have just been quite old and becoming sick. He also could have been making excuses as a way to maybe postpone or escape the commitment of fully following Jesus. Maybe he was not sure of what to do yet because he understood the sacrifices involved. So whether his father had just died or not yet, um, Jesus invited the man to consider that his priorities were out of alignment. And since scripture is not just an old document with stories about other people, but as a living document that is for you and for me too, Jesus is also inviting us to consider what is most important. When Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, he is saying that without a doubt, that offering ourselves fully to Jesus and following him and joining his kingdom work is absolutely the most important thing. More important than anything else that you think is important. Because what is at stake here? Let's think about it. Why does Jesus perform all these miracles that we are going to hear about in chapters 8 and 9? That's not for himself. It's for the people of God. The stakes are high in following Christ because of God's love for his creation. The love for his people who face the hardest things, who face fear, oppression, sickness, chaos, Every day, his love for all people and desire for them to know love and peace and restoration is the reason. Jesus is at work redeeming all things, making everything new. This is the work that we join and commit to as followers of Jesus. It is a task of discipleship. It is messy and sad and hard, and it involves sacrifice 
so that we can lift others up and minister to them. We are following Jesus and doing what Jesus does. Jesus gets into the middle of our fear and sickness and chaos and makes it right. The demon-possessed will be healed. The storms will be calmed. When we follow Jesus, we join in this work too. I wonder if you can think of any people who have shown you what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Someone who has sacrificed and reprioritized their life in order to follow Jesus and join the work of God. I was thinking of St. Basil um, when I was writing this. He used his family's wealth to feed the poor. Mother Teresa spent her life caring for the sick and dying. Harriet Tubman led folks out of enslavement to freedom at great personal risk. Maybe you're thinking of your grandma or a friend. Following God, truly laying down all of who we are and submitting ourselves to Jesus transforms us. Jesus is making us new as we turn from our old ways to the way of Jesus. And this transformation, this repentance, often includes sacrificing those old ways or those old priorities to follow Jesus and join his work, just as the scribe and the morning sun realized from our scripture. That is the cost of being a disciple. It turns out to be a good cost, though, doesn't it? Life is no longer about ourselves. Jesus embodies the kingdom of God, and as his followers, uh, we join and partner with that work. So I want you to look back again at your activity page. Um, this week, I want you to put it somewhere prominent in your house um, to help you reflect on it. Um, maybe you'll think of something you want to add or something to remove. Um, make notes of what you're thinking about and what kind of changes you wish to make. Um, and also celebrate how God has already been working in you as you have offered yourself to Jesus. So I want you to, this week, take a look at what is important to you and ask yourself if it's also important to God and how you might make sacrifices and follow Jesus and follow in his footsteps. And as we move into our time of communion, this might be also something that you'll want to reflect on in prayer 